Yeah, follow Alicia this way. We are, again, we are in a different location. So come to this door. No, oh, everybody, everybody, this way, this way, let's go this way, this way, it's okay, it's different, We're, you didn't do anything wrong, we moved the room on you, we did, so, look at that, everybody's excited, alright, anyway, uh, like a lot of people left that weren't four and through second grade. Okay. Brian's there to unlock doors. We're good. Okay, I'm going to try to mentally shift back. Okay, here we go. Um, if you would... Turn in your Bibles to Exodus uh, 17, Exodus 17, 8 through 16, that's our text today. We're continuing our study of Exodus. Um, before we read God's Word together, let me, uh, let's pray again, let's pray. Lord God, we are, we are grateful again to be in your presence and to and to worship this morning we pray that you would help us to to hear your word to um, store your word in our hearts and to understand it um, Lord um, speak through me give me give me the words to speak and the and clarity um, to rightly divide your word Lord help us to to apply this word, to be changed by it. Your word is, is, is powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. And I pray that you would, you would work on us by your word and bring healing and understanding. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, verse 17, I mean chapter 17, verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And when he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hand grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord, Yahweh, said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. 
Um, we are, I've said this before, I'll say it again, you know, one of my main struggles, one of the things I've noticed uh, Okay, I don't know what's going on. Anyway, uh, the things I've noticed, uh, you know, I've struggled with in life is that, uh, and maybe you do too, is that you, you think, we tend to think that when, if I'm doing things right, if I'm living right, if I'm looking to the Lord, by living by faith, then life really should be pretty easy. It should kind of go the way we expect. And again, if you've, lived any amount of time, um, especially on the other side of 18, you've, you've started adulting or whatever, even before then, um, you realize that's just not true. Um, if you've been with us, you've been listening, if you've read Exodus before, you realize that this, this plays itself out. That God's people, when they get out of Egypt, when they are delivered from the hands of Pharaoh, when they're no longer slaves, when they cross the Red Sea, that the, the, the opposition and the trials and tribulations don't stop. They just keep coming. And um, here's another example. Another instance where... For God's people, the hits just keep on coming, right? Okay, we got to get past. We got to get past this 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 body of water and away from this from this uh, these soldiers and, and these chariots. Then we then we got to we got to we got to drink. We got to we got to give water to over a million people. And then we got to we got to feed uh, a million people. How are we going to do that? And then we got to not only we got to. We got to find water again for over a million people wandering in in the desert. How are we going to do it? And and so there's these obstacles again and again and again. But the good news is God, through a miraculous in a miraculous way, makes a way. He provides. And here we are again. We, we've they've been, they've they escaped Egypt on the other side of the sea. All these trials and, and tribulations, this, this uh, scarcity that they've encountered, the need for food and water God's provided, and now, again, we have an obstacle, we have an enemy, we have a fight. But this one goes a little different, doesn't it? There's three things I want you to see here. Three things I want us to talk about. First, Israel fights the opposition. Second... Um, Yahweh achieves the victory. And third, the church endures in battle. Israel fights the opposition. Yahweh achieves the victory. The church endures in battle. Um, this is really a, a, a kind of a, a section of Exodus that's book-ended with human enemies, with personal opposition. You go back to 14, again I just said we had the, 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 the army of Egypt bearing down upon them. God has delivered them through the, they, they escape, they leave because of the, the Passover and, and, and the, the final uh, plague upon Egypt. But then they, the, this army is coming down upon them. 
And now, after facing the scarcity and the issues of food and water, they come and there's another enemy standing before them. They had an enemy in, verse, in chapter 14 that wanted to, to, to capture them and take them back into slavery. And now we have an enemy in chapter 17 that wants to keep them from moving forward and entering the land of promise. So who is this enemy? The Amalekites, they were a nomadic tribe living in the area south of Canaan um, between Mount Seir and the Egyptian border. Um, they uh, originate, they come from, actually, Amal- Amalek is a descendant of Esau. And if you look at Genesis 36, you see that. He is the, the grandson of, of, um, of Esau. He had a son named Eliphaz, and, and he had that son by a concubine. And, and then... Um, or Eliphaz had, had, had um, Amalek by a concubine, not his wife. And so Amalek kind of has a, a, a you know, he's not listed as a main descendant. He's not, he's not considered an Edomite. He has his own line. And so they're somewhat related. He's related, this people, to, to Israel. Again, Esau, the brother, to Jacob. But they are uh, a desert tribe, nomadic, and they're... they're they, um, have, have a reputation of being raiding and stealing and uh, dominating this area, this wilderness area. Um, it, we, we can look at um, in Deuteronomy and, um, and see that what was happening was they were attacking, they were preying on the, the weak in the group it says in Deuteronomy 25, 17-19, Remember what the Amal- Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt, when you were weary and worn out. They met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind, typically women and children. They had no fear of God. When the Lord your God gives you rest from all the enemies around you in the land, He has given you possession of His inheritance. You shall blot them out blot out the name of Amalek from under the heaven. And so this is a, this is a, a people that are powerful, a, a people that are, uh, want to stop them and want to pick them apart and, and, and are attacking the, the, the weakest part of their, of their band as they travel. Um, we have here um, something, again, an enemy, opposition, but again, God's call, God, the way he deals with it is very different. You remember in, in, when Egypt was bearing down upon them, Moses said, all you have to do is be silent. Just watch. Watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to win the day. And he does, doesn't he? But this time, this time we have a, a call to arms. We have a call to fight. It's the first mention of Joshua. Joshua, gather men to fight this enemy of my people. Gather them together. I want you to do battle. Now, again, if you've read the scriptures and you're kind of used to reading this, you're like, oh, this is what Israel does. This is, this is their thing. This is God. God calls them to fight and, and they gather up. and they, You know, it's a bunch of them. But, um, but think about this. This is the first battle they've ever fought. It, just earlier, not, not, not that long ago, we're told that Moses took them by the way of the Red Sea. 
Because God knew they weren't ready to face enemies. That they weren't ready to face the opposition of the Philistines and the Egyptian outposts. So he took them this way. And now, God says, you're you're going to fight. Again, have they had any military training? No. They were slaves. They didn't let them have weapons. They They didn't equip them for that. They made bricks. And that was it. And God says, now, I want you to take up arms and fight. The battle has come to you. I want you to fight. Joshua, gather your people, gather your army, and go and fight Amalek. What happened? Why, why now? Why, why not? Why not um, some, you know, we, if we keep reading, we'll see things of like hailstones from heaven and, and the earth swallowing up God's enemies. And, 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 and again, why, you know, if he can make the Red Sea stand up, why not just move it over a little bit? <laughs> or transport them into the Red Sea, toss them into the Red Sea again. Like why? But, but now, God's got a different, again, something else in mind. He says, now you're ready to fight. Now you're ready to fight. And they do. He gathers them together and they go off to fight this formidable enemy that's professional raiders, professional fighters. They go into battle. But the good news is what? They don't go alone. They don't go alone. Israel fights the opposition, but second point is Yahweh achieves the victory. He says, I want you to go fight, but where, where's, where does Moses go? He goes up to the mountain. He takes with him his brother Aaron and another leader of the tribe of Judah, Hur. They go to the top and he takes with him the staff in his hand. He goes and he stands and he holds up his hands holding up the staff. And it says that as long as the staff is held up, as long as his hands are raised, Israel is winning. And as soon as his hands goes down, Amalek starts winning. Now, some of you are going to go watch the Super Bowl and you might have people that you're rooting for. This is not going to help. This is not... If you're rooting for Jalen against Jalen... That's not going to help, hands raised or not. I'm just letting you know. Um, why, why did this happen? You know, this is, this is not typical warfare, is it? You know? No general says, y'all out fight, I'm going to do this. As long as I do this, we're going to win. You know, the lieutenants and sergeants be like, I don't like this. This is not good. I think we need to get a new commander. Um, but what, 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 what's being communicated there? Why, why does this happen? You know, some commentators think that when he's holding up his, his hands, that Moses is praying. That this, is a, this is a status, a, you know, a state of prayer. He's praying. He's seeking the Lord's help. And I think this is a valid, um, you know, a valid interpretation. But also remember, what is it that he's take, he took with him? He took the staff. He took the staff in his hand. 
And again, what is the staff? We talked about last week. The surprise that, you know, again, when the elders walked up the mountain of Mount Horeb, they thought that staff was probably going to be coming down on them. But where? It came down on the rock. came down on God Himself. This is a means of, of judgment. And, and, and it came down on Him. But now the staff's there. Just like He held up the staff when the waters parted. Just like He held up the staff when the waters came back on the Egyptians. Now He's holding up the staff. The symbol of God's power and presence and wrath. And he's, as long as that staff is there, they're winning. So he calls them to fight, but it's clear that it's not them. And you know, if you didn't have the resume and recognize that, that fighting, that battle, that being soldiers was nowhere on it, even if you didn't have that, it was clear by the way the battle was going back and forth in correspondence to the staff that this was God's. God was using them as His instruments to bring about victory. And battles take a long time apparently because what happens? This wasn't a quick battle. This wasn't a quick exchange and then it was done. Like, you know, in the movies. You know, it, every battle lasts about an hour and a half because that's how long the movie is, right? No, they're not longer than that. Or even shorter, you know? But just, just so that they might not go, Moses won this for us. <laughs> Moses gets tired. You know, like, just... Go, go, go get a bat or something and hold it. See how long you can just do this with a, with a heavy, heavy staff in your hand. That's your homework. No, not really. But just imagine, you, it's going to be a while. Maybe if you switch hands, you know. Eventually, you're going to get tired. And every time he, he got weak, he went the other way. So what had to happen? These two men came and had to hold his hands up. And often what we think, well, I've heard this application before is, well, we all need friends. We all need people to hold up our hands. And that is true. God has provided the body of Christ. And in that, in that moment, God, the means of, of Moses fulfilling what God called him to do was helped by these two other brothers, right? And we're going to see Moses looking for help in the next chapter and receiving it as he looks to other men to help him judge and, and take care and shepherd Israel. But here, I think the main point is God is making sure that Moses doesn't get the credit. Only he gets the credit. Moses was too weak to even stand and hold the staff. Joshua and the, and the people that he gathered were too weak to win the battle on their own. The only way they won, the only way they could win, is for God to bring it about. For God to work in and through His people to bring about the victory. Again, we just... We just um, we just talked about how, how, how God is not only not not loving us when we face hard things. <laughs> it's not that He's just doesn't... It's not that He's let go of the will and has no control. But He's actually using the adversity and the opposition in life to show us who He is. What he can do and what we can do in his strength. And here, though they weren't ready when they left Egypt, they, weren't, they were clearly not ready when they left Egypt to go and, and engage in serious battle. They had to do what? They had to be prepared. They had to first see what? That God could win the day without them lifting a finger. 
They had to see that when they, were, when they were in times of scarcity and they didn't have what they needed, that they looked to God. And God, even when they were faithless, God would always come through and provide. Because they saw that, because they endured suffering, because they saw God provide, now they were ready to move forward, to be brave and courageous and trust that as they entered into a place of, of danger and potential hurt, potential loss, that God was with them. And what? It's still God is the one who wins the day. You know, there's, there's a lot of mention of, of grumbling and quarreling and talking back and pushing back. You know, that's not even in here. But because they walked through that time of, of struggle before, now Joshua's like, okay. And the men he gathered up are like, okay. This is what we're going to do and we have the blessing of the Lord to do it. And then they, in the heat of battle, could look up to the mountain and see the staff being raised and know they weren't alone in the fight. They've been prepared through opposition before, through through trials and tribulations before, now to fight this good fight and to know that the Lord will prevail. They fight, but Yahweh achieves the victory. Well, so what? It's a great story. It's a great story. I love it. It's again, it's 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 cinematic. It'd make a for a great movie, you know. There's been a lot of movies about Exodus. <laughs> I don't know that this one's been portrayed in film, but wow, I mean, what a what a great um, great story. What does this mean for you and me? What does this mean for us? That brings us to the third point. The church will endure, the church endures the ongoing battle still. I, I want you to realize, you know, as we come to the end of this text, it says, it says that when when all was done, when when, when they had when they had when they had overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword, the Lord said to Moses, He says, "Go tell this to Joshua. Write it down. Recite it in his ears. What did he want them to say? Um, when to remind them that he will utterly blot out." the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And then he said he built an altar for remembrance, right? An altar there to mark the occasion, to make a sacrifice, and he called it, The Lord is my banner. It's important that you and I, just like them, remember this fight, remember this victory. Because there's a promise with it. He says, Joshua, I will utterly blot out Amalek from the world, from his memory under heaven. This was just one skirmish. This was one fight, and they retreated. But the enemy remained. It wasn't a complete victory. God didn't give them complete and utter victory. He gave them victory over this army, these men that they faced. And if you've read the scripture, if you know that this, there's many, many more interactions with these enemies of God's people. That throughout their time, they, 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 uh, in the time of Judges, they, the Amalekites joined with other nations to fight 
Israel. If you keep reading, you get to 1 Samuel and you realize that, that, um, that it's King Saul's first real test that he fails. It's the Amalekites that he's told to go and wipe out, devote everything to destruction. And what happens? They don't. He doesn't. He leaves the king, King Agag, alive and brings him as a, as a prisoner, as a trophy, and, 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 and brings the, the, uh, the livestock to, to, to offer unto the Lord. And y'all remember what happened. Samuel, uh, that's when Samuel hacks him to bits, it says in the Scripture. Agag. But there's still, he still leaves people there. And then later in 1 Samuel, David has to fight the Amalekites because they, they, uh, they take captive his, his wives and his children. They attack the cities of, of Judah and he goes and defeats them. But again, some couple hundred, four hundred or so escape. And then under King Hezekiah, they fight the Amalekites. And then it says that they wipe them out, but then as you get even further, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years later, you get to the book of Esther. And you have an enemy. His name is Haman, an Agagite, a descendant of the king of the Amalekites. Why do I say all that? Because you know, yeah, history's fun, right? You're having a good time? Now you know it. I think if you read it, what was it telling us? It's telling us that, that the battle is ongoing. The, the, the victory is the Lord's, but you see from generation to generation, He goes, you're going to fight this from generation to generation. It says it right there. The Lord will have a war with Amalek from generation to generation. As you read the Scripture, it proves true. That even when he says, this is it, these are your enemies, wipe them out, it doesn't come to pass. Because, because what? Because of the sin of, of Saul. Because of the insufficiency and the weakness of his people. What does this have to do with us? It has to do with us because we, again, the, as, you, as you look at the New Testament and trying to understand what is this we're living in, where is, where is this we're living as Christians? We're living in the wilderness. We're in the in-between. We've been set free from slavery and we're looking forward to the promised land, the eternal glory to come. And we're in the in-between. And you see this fight. You see this battle. That, yes, God wins, but He calls His people to fight it with Him. That He uses His people as an instrument of bringing about that victory. But it's ultimately His. And we see that this, as we look at this, this, this first of many enemies that they will face, this one keeps coming up again and again and again and again. Do you ever feel like every day is a fight? Do you ever feel like, do you ever get overwhelmed with the opposition of the world? With its lies about relationships and sexuality, its lies about what is, what is good and right and moral, and how that just bombards you and your children and your, our culture every day. Do you, is it, do you, do you feel the fight? Do you, do you feel, do you get, do you get, 
how many times am I going to have to confess the same besetting sin over and over and over again? You're fighting, we're fighting the world, we're fighting our own sinful flesh. And there's a real personal enemy, the devil, who's orchestrating, who's, who's real and living, not everywhere, but has power and is evil and has servants who's orchestrating battle, spiritual battle against his people. There's, there is opposition. And it's real. And we feel it. Convince the story is here to show us, like he showed us many times, God is sufficient to win the day. It's also here to show us that to be in the in-between, to live in the wilderness, means to fight the good fight of faith. We're going to have personal enemies, spiritual enemies, the enemy of our own sinful self, and it's going to be a fight. Remember, remember what Paul says in Ephesians 6. It says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. And it doesn't, it doesn't stop with, and let Him win the day. Be silent, do not fight, like He did with, 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 with Egypt. Then He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There was real, personal opposition. He does to put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, having done all to stand. And he finishes with, in verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. We have this promise, a promise that goes back all the way to Genesis 12, 3. It says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. We have this promise that God will fight for His people. He will preserve His people. And that's what He means by the, a hand upon the throne of the Lord, that those who are an enemy of God, who seek to put their hand to usurp His power, what's He going to do? He's going to defeat them. They, he has decided to, to made them the object of his wrath and he will defeat them. And he's saying, I will fight for you, I will preserve you, but I'm calling you to fight as well. Fight in my power. Well, how do you do that? How do you do that? Because he says what? He says, what does he call the altar? The Lord is my banner. What's a banner? You know, if you've ever watched films, you've ever watched war films, you know, every, every company, every regiment has what? A standard. They have a, a flag that represents the flag of their country, but also the flag of their, their particular unit. And one of my, one of my favorite movies, if y'all watched um, Glory with Matthew Broderick about, about the, 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 the African-American regiment who fought for the Union, the first African-American regiment. And, every, and there's a scene where 
someone shoots the, the, the standard bearer. And the person who sees it drops their weapon and picks it up. Because <laughs> they know it's more important. What? It's more important, his, not for him to fire another shot, but for everyone to be able to see that the standard is still raised and for everyone to keep fighting on. What is our banner? What is our standard as we fight the good fight of faith, as we fight opposition lies of the world, our own sinful self, even people that, that harass and persecute the church? How do, we, how do we fight? What do we do? We talk about putting on armor, but ultimately all that's pointing to, you could summarize the armor as putting on, looking to the cross, looking to the banner, looking to the standard, the God who wins the fight for us. The church endures when we realize that the ultimate victory is the Lord's. We can stand to fight. We can, we're putting on the armor of God because we're knowing I'm fighting with, with my, you know, as my Savior marches on before. He has won the day. He has faced death. He has overcome sin and death and the devil. And now we look to Him, our banner. Just as the God's people on this day, uh, under, the, under the leadership of Moses, look to the staff. God's symbol of power and ability to redeem and preserve and to bring wrath against his enemies. A symbol that God was with them. We look to the cross. We look to Jesus. We look to the victor, our king, who wins the day. We can fight the good fight of faith because the Lord gives us the ability to do so and a sure hope that He will because He has already won. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Do not be surprised by suffering. Don't be surprised by opposition. The world hated Jesus, so he's also gonna, the world's going to hate us. There will be opposition. There will be people that push back, that, that persecute you, that will, that will criticize you, that will, that, will, that will make fun of the fact that you are a believer, that you look to Jesus. You're going to every day face temptation and your own failure, your sinfulness. And, and there will be times where you're, can, can, can I even... Stand to fight another day. Uh, you'll be facing, you may be facing crippling anxiety or depression. Not just external voices telling you that there's no hope. It's inside telling you there's no more hope. I can't move on. And you're called to put on the armor of God. Remember the righteousness of the Lord. Remember the faithfulness of the Lord. Remember the good news of the Lord's coming and His redemption. Remember... You're secure in Him. Stand and fight in His strength. Look to the banner. Look to the standard. Look to the cross. And find courage and strength in Him to fight the good fight of faith. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You for this, Your Word. We thank You for helping, for letting us see newly freed slaves 
who are faithless and struggling. Struggling to believe, struggling to rest in the promises, to see them call to fight and to see you help them prevail. That is who we are. By your grace we will prevail because you are a covenant-keeping God and you win the day. Help us to look to you as our banner, as our standard. And help us to know that though the fight has gone on from generation to generation to generation, ultimately, we have this promise that you will blot out all our enemies. You will see the church, your people vindicated. You will see us all the way home. Help us to see that. Help us to hang on to that. Help us to to keep fighting in your strength. And Lord, use this meal, this this Lord's Supper to that end to, to assure us of that, that you have set us free from slavery to sin and you will preserve us and bring us home to you. Help this meal to reinforce that just as your word has this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.